So we are joined now by the Sixers play-by-play host, Mark Zumoff here in the living room. So Mark, thank you, first of all, for making the time and jumping on with us on the hotline here. It's a beautiful living room. I love what you've done with the place. <laughs> uh, you know, we got the temple flag in here, you know, so we can't be going. We got Sixers memorabilia, so it's, it's, you know, it's good stuff. That's what I'm talking about, the temple flag for sure. Oh my God. You know, it's funny. It's, it's such a, it's, it's been a minute since we chatted and I, I got it. You know, it's funny. We've been almost playing tag with the last few guests we've been playing. We had John Janini on a week ago and he was talking about um, a fly fishing story. And then we had Mark Farzetta on, on Monday. And he's talking about how he ran into John Janini on a fly fishing trip. And then he starts talking about how, you know, when we're asking him how his show got started. He's telling me how, you know, Mark Zumoff called him and we're just laughing we're like, Oh my God, we're talking to Mark on Wednesday. So it's incredible how the domino effect Mark has the last few, I know. The last few days. But, you know, let me ask you that. I know we will obviously dive into the hoops, Mark, but what's it been like helping so many people in the Philadelphia area with broadcasting? Including, I mean, we're doing this podcast because of, you know, your encouragement for me when I was at Temple and, you know, never to you know, lose the craft. And, you know, obviously Mark Barzetta has had a lot of success with his podcast. So just how much has that meant to you uh, helping everyone out in the city and, and just in general across the nation? I think one day, Karen, it's going to mean a lot being able to look back and see people who I've been fortunate enough to interact with. It's simply just trying to be a decent human being and be accessible to people. I remember what it was like being in high school, being in college, and even when I first started my professional career, how distant and how unattainable people seem to be to me just in terms of how to make contact with them and how to get advice and how to get a job so i've always kind of made it my mission to be accessible and hopefully i've touched a few lives along the way and and made them better and my only response to those folks would be don't thank me just pay it forward i love that and Speaking of the broadcasting world, it's been a unique, it's been unique to put it probably in in an interesting sense, right? With the the past year with the pandemic and and just calling games about fans this past year. So Mark, I guess the generic question, do you mind painting a picture of what this past calendar year has been like as the Sixers play-by-play guy and watching NBA games with, with no fans, calling games remote, just this entire world? So just to touch on some of the more I guess, notable moments. There was the March 11th game, which was the last game before fans at Wells Fargo Center. And that game was already being played under the specter of the possibility of a pandemic with the city taking certain precautions already. Media members were restricted in terms of their ability to interact with players. And you just knew something bad was coming. And then right after the game was over, the NBA announced the suspension of the season. And then fortunately, they got it together to have the bubble. And by July, we were doing these, I guess it was sort of, these were like warm-up games or preseason games. And then by August, we resumed things in the bubble. And and the Sixers, unfortunately, were eliminated in the first round. And then the, the quick turnaround and our first sighting of live basketball was December 23rd when the Sixers opened at home against Washington. And yes, we're doing games, road games, uh, from the arena. We have a great setup there with um, very big monitors and pretty much everything that we would expect to get courtside. It's not optimum because your field of vision is restricted to what the fans can see at home. 
and your ability to interact with players and coaches and get all the really cool nuggets that you normally would get. Uh, that just doesn't happen because you're not with the team. But I think um, overall, it, in terms of being a stopgap measure, it's been great. And I'm just really thankful to be doing games, whether seeing live basketball or in a studio calling the game remotely. And, and to that point, with the home games, the ones you're in, uh, in person for, with, you're talking about cool nuggets, is there anything different you pick up on as a broadcaster with the, the, basically the crowd not there and you can hear all the communication on the court, the, the coaches, and basically all the little details that, you know, even us as fans, as much as we, we thought we'd pick up on it with the pandemic, with, uh, with all the, the studio noise and like stuff like that, people can't really, you know, like obviously they, the broadcast has done a good job kind of tuning it out for the, for the fan watching on TV. But for you in person, how much has maybe that helped you, uh, you know, watching the games? I know you've been doing this for forever. So, you know, it's, but is there anything that you've taken away with just kind of learning the chit chat and some of the different communication on the court this year? You certainly pick up some of that. You pick up more of it, Karen, than I think you normally would. That said, uh, just this one anecdote that I think really hammers home what it's been like to do games without a crowd. The last game the Sixers lost before this current six-game win streak, Joel Embiid had the opportunity to win the game in regulation. He had a baseline shot. And I remember making the call, and then all of a sudden it was like a movie where everything was in slow motion. And I could hear in the background players communicating with one another, the squeaking of sneaks, the ball bouncing on the court, all things that if the crowd was in an uproar with a potential game-winning shot, you would never even think that you would hear. And it was just weird because I was sort of juxtaposing in my mind the fact that I was getting ready to call a potential game winner with the fact that the audio in my headset sounded more like a guard variety practice. <laughs> and it was it, it, it really, to me, it encapsulated like the whole thing where, yeah, we're doing basketball, but it's not anything close to what it would normally be because there are no fans in the stands. And, and to that point, have you noticed anything different just in the flow of the game, whether it's coaches being able to maybe relay more uh, changes, if you will, or adjustments to their players? Or has there been any difference in just the style or just the back and forth, the chess match, if you will, that goes on the X's and O's just on the hardwood that with, since the pandemic happened? Not that I've really noticed. I do think that the coaches are a little frustrated by the fact that the NBA has a mask requirement because they are always trying to communicate with their players or have their way with the officials. And all the yelling and talking and cajoling and coaching, I think sometimes uh, they're not sure if their message is getting across. So in terms of your question, I would say that's the main thing that um, I've been able to realize in our time doing games during the pandemic. And it's funny, you mentioned the Sixers, obviously, a team that we all love, you know, in the Philadelphia area. I'm going to kind of ask this from a, from a fan perspective here. I just feel like there's been a difference in this team, something they're almost playing with, a, they're reaching their potential, for lack of a way to put it, with, with Doc Rivers. It just seems like Ben's more aggressive to the hoop, playing better defense. They're not losing those games against the Magic on a Tuesday night where they're on the road, where like it felt like with Brett Brown, they always would have that clunker game or 
right? Like there's, it just felt like the same issues they had, they just kept spinning in circles. Whereas with Doc Rivers, they just seemed like they're firing on all cylinders. I mean, is that just me as a, as a fan kind of throwing that out there? Or like, what are you seeing, I guess, the difference with this team this year compared to the Brett Brown era? I certainly think you're right about the clunker games. There have been fewer of those. And at 28 and 12, I think it's their best 40 game start now since the 2001 season when they went to the finals. So I really do think, Kieran, it's a lot of things coming together. I think that Joel Embiid has been in the best shape of his career. I think he has reached a level of maturity in terms of understanding what needs to be done in order to be excellent. Tobias Harris, I think, has had his game straightened out by a coach who has had him before. So it was fortuitous because I think he understood intrinsically what made him tick, not even just his mentality, but also what schemes on the floor would make him a better basketball player. I think the sprinkling of veterans like Danny Green and Seth Curry have certainly not only helped from a locker room perspective, but they've helped from a court spreading perspective. So I think you have a lot of things coming together at the right time. And certainly Doc Rivers has a lot to do with that. Uh, Not only an X and O perspective, but just his persona, the fact that he is a a coach who has won more than 900 games. He's one of the uh, winningest coaches in NBA history. He's got a, a playing career as well that players can look back on and say, you know what, here's a guy who is an NBA lifer. This is no fault of, of uh, Brett Brown's, but uh, I think because of everything that Doc Rivers has been through, I think he commanded respect the minute he walked through the door. And it's funny, you talked about Joel Embiid and just how well he's been playing this year. It's funny, I'm not going to say that the center's been a dying breed in the NBA over the last 20 years, right? But I feel like there's been this shift since like maybe the 70s, 80s, 90s, where it's been a little bit more guard-oriented where there's been this maybe ideology that you can get away with having like a ho-hum center. And the Sixers, I think, are, are kind of bringing that model back of maybe that late 90s, 80s, 70s play. Like, I guess, Mark, let me ask you this. You've seen the game for the last four decades. What Have you noticed kind of a style shift in just maybe the entire body of the NBA, how it's moving back to a little bit more of a physicality standpoint? Or is there a any shift, to, in your opinion, over the last few years in the game in, in general? I think the three-point shot has clearly changed the game. That and rules designed to allow more freedom of movement. So you're seeing scoring now, for example, um, the Milwaukee Bucks averaging 120 points per game. I remember as little as 20 years ago, I'm not sure that Allen Iverson team hit 120 points in two or three games that season. There was a lot more physicality then. The three-point shot wasn't used nearly as much. And I think because of that, shooters, guards, because the floor is spread, I think their role has increased in importance. I still think that Joel Embiid has shown that there is room for uh, a big man. I know that coaches really value the opportunity to go to a player like him, either out of a timeout or during the other team's run when you really need a hoop. So, Uh, I do think that the role of the five spot or the center spot has changed. I think in the NBA now, if you look at uh, Nikola Jokic of Denver and his abilities to work from the high post to create and and to shoot from the outside, 
that's more, I think, of what you're uh, going to be seeing going forth. But I think there is still room for a dominant guy like Embiid to take residence in the low post. It's uh, like what Larry Brown always used to say. It really doesn't matter so much what the superstar player does as long as he has the ability to attract a double team because once that happens, then you can get the defense moving and, and depending on how that player acts, good things can happen. And also shifting from the NBA circuits, I, I got to ask you a few March Madness questions just for fun. Well, I'll just, I'll just throw it out. You know, I'll just roll it in one ball for you. I'll, I know you're busy so much watching the NBA, so I know college is not the first thing you know on your mind. But have you filled out a bracket? Is there any teams you like in, in this March Madness pool coming up, especially the first round uh, this Friday? You're going to hate me, but I've paid, I think, <laughs> I think more attention to um, – you know, I don't want to be disparaging of anybody else, so I won't say it. But I have I have paid very little attention to college basketball. I have been so <laughs> wrapped up with the NBA. So I do know that that Drexel is taking on an Illinois team that has, uh, I guess, at least a couple of pro prospects. So I'm rooting for Drexel or any Big Five team that's in there, and of course, I'm rooting for Villanova as well. And it's funny you say because you know I I love the transparency. I. Not gonna lie, the Temple uh, South Florida game when they played in the American Conference was the first game I watched all season. I was trying to show my Temple roots for us, you know, <laughs> pulling in the American. Well, you know, it, it was Kieran. It was hard because you know you could tune in. I mean, every time I had the, the Temple schedule embedded on my calendar, and every time I looked at it, a game was being postponed. Oh, I know it was horrible. And then like you had some teams in the conference that felt like we're playing fifteen games, some were playing twenty five. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think, yeah, through no fault of its own, I don't think the tournament has nearly the luster that it has in the years past. But hopefully by next year, things will be a lot more normal. Teams will play a normal schedule and, you know, it'll be uh, it, it'll recapture uh, it, their days of glory in the NCAA tournament. No, I totally agree. I'll, tell, I'll, I'll leave you with that kind of final question, Mark. What I mean, how much different just when you kind of say when it's all said and done with your craft, how much and it's I'd be brutally honest if it's not much at all. How much would you just say, looking back on all this, you'll say it was completely different than every other year that you're broadcasting? So I think you're asking about the evolution of my craft and maybe how different it is, say, than when I first started out. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So just taking the TV gig, for example, um, I think now, and I think this is true of sports media professionals in general, that it's a lot more incumbent upon the individual to be flexible and to be multi-talented. So I'm expected to interact with people on social media. I'm expected to do some writing. Um, I, I could be called on to do any one of a number of things. Certainly when the, when the Sixers are playing, I was doing interviews and, um, you know, I was putting together features. So, um, also, technologically speaking, I think that places more demands on you. So whether it's uh, more cameras that are available, certainly now with analytics, there are a lot more stats that you're tempted to try to get into a game or, uh, you know, it takes you that much deeper in your research. So I would say in a nutshell, those are the, the big differences from when I first started doing games back in 94, 95. Awesome. 
Well, Ty, we know you're busy calling games, so we can let you run along. We really appreciate all the time you jumping on with us today. Kieran, my pleasure anytime, whatever you need, you know that.